Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Honored to be with all of you, and I want to thank you for coming out on a foggy day uh, like today. And uh, it's a privilege to be with Brian. I've had him as a student in class, and uh, I love his enthusiasm and his excitement. And uh, you're blessed to have him. Uh, that uh, hope that uh, his ministry here will continue to be a blessing to your heart and mind. Uh, my wife Donna is with me. We've been married 51 years. Uh, and uh, she's right up here in the front, and uh, she'll be playing a number for us a little later in the day uh, on the uh, piano. Uh, for those of you that uh, are longtime uh, folks that have had a connection of some sort with Liberty University over the years and Dr. Falwell Sr.'s uh, ministry, several of you asked me questions walking in about people. Uh, yes, Dr. Towns and Dr. Wilmington are both still alive. Uh, they're about 85 years old. Uh, Jerry would have been turning 85 this summer uh, had he lived. Uh, he's now been in heaven for 10 years. That's hard to believe. In fact, it'll be 11 years in May. Time flies once you get past 50. Uh, it goes by very, very quickly. So uh, appreciate your prayers. Uh, there are now 15,000 students on campus at Liberty residentially and about 85 or 90,000 people uh, taking distance learning courses. Uh, some of you have mentioned to me coming in, you're doing that. So thank you for doing that. If you go to liberty.edu on a computer, uh, all of that information will come up uh, from those different degree programs. We're privileged to have a grandson who's a senior uh, this year, playing on the baseball team at Liberty, plans to uh, go on to the seminary program uh, in next year and then a granddaughter who's a freshman uh, who's on the swim team. So we sat through hours of swimming and diving yesterday uh, so we could cheer her on, but uh, uh, it's fun to be with you today. Now, the emphasis today is a day of prophecy. <clears throat> what does the Bible say about the future? Now, first of all, I want to remind us of something. Prophecy is not written to scare us. Prophecy is written to prepare us. Uh, be ready to meet the Lord when He comes. Be ready to meet the Lord whenever you go uh, at the same time. I also realize that the older you are this morning, the sooner you want Jesus to come back because you're running out of time yourself. Uh, I get that. The younger you are, you're in no hurry for Jesus to come back. You're thinking, I've got my life to live. Uh, I, I want to accomplish certain things. Uh, my students at Liberty are always asking me, he's not going to come too soon. Why? I'm not married. Uh, I don't want him to come before I could get married. Six months after they're married, they want to know how soon is he coming. Uh, that changes. But I remind us, a God that loves you enough to send his son to the cross to die for your sins, loves you enough, he'll come back when the time is right. Uh, you can trust him for that. But what I want to do in the Sunday School Hour, uh, in this hour, is talk to you a little bit about <clears throat> the signs of the times uh, in which we are living. 
Uh, Brian mentioned I have a number of things available there. The King James uh, Study Bible is the Old Liberty Study Bible uh, expanded and it's in full color. Uh, those are $50 in the bookstores. Uh, I'm letting people have them for $30. There's the chart book charting the uh, Bible from Genesis to Revelation, a full color chart that folds out four pages wide on uh, everything from Genesis to Revelation. And then about 40 individual color charts as well on uh, who are the patriarchs and the judges and the kings and the prophets of the Bible and uh, the life of Christ and the apostles and uh, the prophecy passages as well. And then our prophecy encyclopedia uh, where you can look the topics up alphabetically. And then uh, this popular book, 15 Future Events That Will Shake the World. I'll give you five of those uh, in the uh, message right now. But if you have your Bible, take it and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. The Gospel of Matthew, the 16th chapter. The term signs of the times was used by Jesus himself to talk about what was coming in both the near future and the distant future. In Matthew 16, the passage begins in verse 1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came tempting him or testing him that he would show them a sign from heaven. So if you like to mark things in your Bible, you might circle the word sign. Uh, they're saying to him, we've heard that you've done miracles in other places. Do a miracle for us. And if you'll do a miracle for us, then we'd believe in you. And Jesus answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it'll be fair weather today because the sky is red. In other words, there's a bright red, clear sunset. Uh, and here in uh, West Central Virginia, uh, when the sun goes down on a clear night and the silhouette of the mountains is out there, it's beautiful. And that bright red sunset uh, tells us probably going to be a clear sky, fair weather. Or he said, in the morning, you say it'll be foul weather, rainy weather, because the sky is red and lowering or cloudy, uh, and you're trying to decide what the weather's going to do. This is back before they had weathermen to report it. Oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And there's that phrase, signs of the times, and you might underline that in your Bible. Jesus himself uses that term. Now, what he was talking about there in that passage was the scribes and the Pharisees could not discern the signs of the times back then, the signs of his first coming. There are over 100 prophecies in the Old Testament about the first coming of Christ. And what he was saying is to the religious leaders of his day, you missed it. You of all people should know what those signs are, and you have not discerned that. I'm not going to do a miracle to simply satisfy your curiosity. Verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there will be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left and departed. No signs today, he was saying. No miracles today. They were saying, We've heard you've done miracles in other places, and he had. 
and many people had seen those miracles. And some of the people who saw those miracles believed, but some did not. Uh, a miracle alone doesn't convert your heart, doesn't change your life. It gets your attention. Uh, and a lot of people saw Jesus' miracles, but as you read the Gospels, you discover they didn't always believe that He really was who He said He was. So He left them with only what He called the sign of the prophet Jonah, and He walked away. Now, what was He talking about? Well, who was Jonah? That Old Testament prophet that ran away from God, didn't want to go preach to the people in Nineveh, ended up in the fish for three days and three nights, and prayed one of the greatest prayers in the Old Testament, kind of like, help, I'm going to die. Uh, and uh, the fish spit him up on the shore, uh, and he changed his mind and said, okay, I can go preach. Jesus was saying, the sign of the prophet Jonah will be like my resurrection. After three days and three nights, he came back. After three days and three nights, I will come back. What he was saying to them was, ultimately, if the miracle of my resurrection from the dead does not convince you that I am the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, nothing else will. Some little miracle, turning stones into bread or whatever, that's not going to convince you. The ultimate miracle is the miracle of my resurrection, but in the meantime, you guys have missed the signs of my first coming. Those prophecies that he would be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, ride into town on a donkey, be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, uh, etc. All of those signs were to tell us He's the one who gives sight to the blind, He's the one who can raise the dead and heal the sick. Those are the Messianic signs from the Old Testament. And while many of the people believe that, unfortunately the leaders did not. Then time moves on in Jesus' earthly ministry. Turn now to Luke chapter 21. Now you're down to the end of his earthly ministry. He's about to go to the cross and die for our sins and rise from the dead. And this passage in Luke 21, beginning in verse 25, he talks about the signs of his second coming, of his return. Luke 21, verse 25, there will be signs. There's that word again, and you might circle it. Signs in the sun and in the moon, in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, for looking after those things that are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to come to pass, and you might underline the word begin, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draws near. When you begin to see these kinds of things starting to come to pass, keep looking up, my coming is near. Here he's talking about the signs of his return. When he comes and every eye will see him. When he comes ultimately in judgment upon the world. Now we'll talk some uh, tonight in one of our messages about uh, the promise of the rapture uh, in the Bible. 
there are technically no signs for the rapture. The rapture could happen at any moment, at any time. Uh, all of a sudden, the archangel could shout, the trumpet could sound, and zap, we're out of here to the glory of God. The signs have to do with His return. Now, let me illustrate it this way. If you were to go to uh, the mall, uh, and uh, you were to go there in uh, September, and they were already putting up Christmas decorations uh, that early, you would not only know that Christmas is coming, but what other holiday comes before Christmas? Thanksgiving. You'd know that Christmas is coming, then Thanksgiving is obviously coming even sooner. If I begin to see the signs of His return, then that ought to tell me the rapture is coming even sooner, when He comes back for His own to call us home to heaven. Uh, and uh, I'll help you sort all that out uh, tonight as to the order of all of those events. But uh, the point that he's making here is these signs that shake the heavens themselves and shake the earth, those have to do with my return. Uh, now, when we look at the promises of the return of Christ, there are several things predicted, I think, that are very clear. And I want to suggest to you this morning Five. There are 15 in the book, but I'll give you just five of them right now. Number one, the return of Israel to the promised land. Uh, the rebirth of that nation in the promised land. You say, why is that significant? Because every end times prophecy assumes Israel will be back in the land in the last days. Well, they weren't there for 1900 years. Uh, they were destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. Uh, they were driven out of the land uh, after 132 AD. Uh, the Roman Emperor Hadrian changed the name of the country to Palestine uh, to get rid of any memory of the uh, Jewish people. Palestina is the Latin form of Philistines, the enemies of Israel. Uh, gave it the worst name you possibly could give it. Uh, and. Uh, changed the name of Jerusalem to Alia Capitolina, and Israel was removed from the map. The Jewish people were scattered all over the planet, and until 1948, there was no Israel as a country existing until May of that year when Israel declared her independence again and again became a nation. This is 2018. That's 70 years ago. This is the 70th anniversary of the rebirth of the nation of Israel. It's predicted by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 66, verse 8, where Isaiah says, Who has heard of such a thing, who has seen such things, shall a nation be born at once in a day, and yet as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. In other words, Isaiah looked down through the tunnel of time, down through the halls of history and predicted there will come a time when the nation of Israel will return to the land and be reborn in one day. That happened within the lifetime of those of us here that are older. Uh, we saw that reality. Those of you that are under uh, those ages, you have lived with the reality of Israel existing as a nation in the promised land. That's significant because they had to go back to set the stage for the last days. So I'm going to suggest to you that these five signs of the 
return of Christ are like flashing lights. If you were driving down the highway here on 460 and all of a sudden you came into a construction zone and lights were flashing to say, slow down, something's coming up ahead, that's what these prophecies are like. They're reminders to future generations you're getting closer to the time when Christ will return. Israel must go back to the land. I have a book at home in Lynchburg that was written in 1840, a hundred years before Israel returned, in which the author is saying, I believe one day they will go back to the promised land to set the stage for the return of Christ. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I believe it will happen. It did happen. I also have another book written in 1946, actually by a Baptist pastor who said, they're never going to go back to the land and there's never going to be a nation of Israel. God is through with them. Now, God is not through with them. God has a plan and a purpose for Israel returning to the land in the last days. Now, some will say, but Ed, they're there in unbelief for the most part. Right. But they're there to set the stage for God dealing with them in the time of the end. And the interesting thing is, in these 70 years, they become more and more open to the gospel than ever before. Uh, Tim LaHaye and I, a couple of years ago, while Tim was still living, we had the opportunity to preach in an evangelistic rally in Tel Aviv to 2,000 people in Israel. Uh, and in the invitation, 60 people came forward to accept Christ as their Savior. It's amazing to see what God is doing there. Uh, there's an openness to the idea that Jesus, uh, Yeshua is the Hebrew way of saying His name, is really Hamashiach, the Messiah. Uh, we need to pray for the people of Israel that they'll still be open to the fact that there's not another Messiah coming. He already came. If you missed Him the first time, don't miss Him the second time. Number two, uh, I'd suggest rumors of war in the Middle East. If the Middle East were quiet and peaceful, we might wonder, will these prophecies ever really be fulfilled? Prophecies, and there are many of them, but like Zechariah 12, verses 2 and 3, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all the people round about her, a cup that you can't hold it without spilling it over. Uh, and I will make them uh, like a rock of offense uh, that they cannot hold. And in that day, uh, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone to all people who burden themselves with it, even though all the people of the earth are gathered together against it. He's foreseeing a time that the nations would eventually come against Israel in the last days uh, and saying, that even though that happens, God will come to her defense and to her protection for all that try to attack her shall be the burdensome stone they cannot lift or the cup of trembling that they cannot hold. Uh, there are a number of prophecies like that and all of them have geography centered in the Middle East. Every time you read end times prophecies, the nations coming against Israel are coming from the Middle Eastern countries. The geography is the Euphrates River or the Valley of Armageddon, etc. That's all in the Middle East. Now, that's not to say that there can't be wars and problems in other parts of the planet. Of course there can. But the big ones 
that are ultimately going to happen prophetically are centered in the Middle East. Well, I don't need to remind you the Middle East is not quiet. It is not peaceful. There's an incredible amount of tension there. I'll suggest in the next service, because of the influence of Islamic extremism, uh, the attitude there is that Israel must go. Uh, she must be destroyed. She must be eliminated uh, at all costs. And while the tension ebbs and flows at times, the real issue never totally goes away. The nations around her are determined to try to eliminate her. It's as though Satan hates the people of Israel, hates the people of God, hates the church, so he attacks anything that God wants to bless, that God has put his hand upon. And Israel is in the crosshairs of that tension today. Uh, for those that come back tonight, I'll give everybody uh, a free book uh, entitled Target Israel, Caught in the Crosshairs of the End Times. Tim LaHaye and I co-wrote it. It was the last book Tim wrote before he went on to heaven. Uh, so you'll have a chance to have that. I think we'll have enough to give everybody a free one tonight. Uh, and we're meeting at 5 and at 6, I understand. So if you'll come back tonight, uh, the, the free book will be yours. And it'll explain some of that in greater detail. The hatred for Israel is not just something Hitler had. It's something that has been ingrained in people that don't really know God uh, for centuries. And unfortunately, there's still a lot of it today. And the nation, while she's trying to struggle to survive and is prospering, is nevertheless caught in the tension of the Middle East. People ask me all the time, when do you think the wars in the Middle East will end? When Jesus returns uh, as the Prince of Peace uh, and settles it, it's not going to end before that. You can have peace talks, you can have negotiations, but when you have a movement in the Middle East that is determined to destroy you, uh, it's never really going to come to an end. Uh, it was isolated to the Middle East for centuries. Now, because of modern transportation and communication, it's on our doorstep as well. Number three, I'd suggest the revolt of apostasy. Israel's back in the land. The Middle East is in tension that will ultimately lead to a war out of control. And the rise of apostasy. What is apostasy? It's turning away from the faith. Uh, the word apostasy comes from a Greek word in the original New Testament, apostasia, which means stasia, to stand, apo, away from. In other words, to affirm something and then walk away from it. To say, I don't believe that anymore, uh, etc. Uh, in the early 20th century, uh, the influence of liberal theology was robbing the heart and soul out of the Christian churches. Uh, and many of the mainline denominations became so liberal, they didn't believe the Bible was inspired, they didn't believe that Jesus was really the Son of God, that He died for your sins or rose from the dead. They watered down Christianity to kind of just a uh, feel-good sort of a religion. And fundamental, conservative, evangelical, whatever term you want to use, Bible-believing Christians said, no, we're not going to go that way. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Salvation is absolutely necessary to get to heaven, etc. Heaven is real and hell is real, etc. They stood for those fundamentals of the faith, 
stood against the wave of liberalism. Now, let me give you a quick church history lesson. Back in the early 1900s, the churches that had all the buildings, all the money, and all the schools basically all went liberal. The conservative churches started all over again in little storehouses, in new buildings, in new churches, in new denominations, and started a whole series of new schools. From the 1920s to the 1970s, most of your conservative Christian schools had their founding dates during that time and stood against that wave of liberalism and actually ended up doing it very effectively. By the end of the 20th century, the liberal denominations were all in decline. They were losing people, losing money, closing schools, merging schools, and the conservative evangelical churches and schools had all the big churches, had all the big programs, uh, had all the schools, had all the money. And so you could have said, well, good, we won. The problem is, in the 21st century, that wave of unbelief is now creeping into a lot of churches that used to be conservative, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches, uh, where young pastors are all too often saying, well, I don't think you can take things in the Bible that literally. Uh, that uh, what difference does it make if Jesus literally walked out of the grave or he just sort of oozed out uh, spiritually? Uh, isn't that good enough? Well, not according to the Apostle Paul, uh, who said, if you didn't literally rise from the dead, your faith is vain and a waste of time. Uh, Paul believed it. Uh, the early apostles believed it. The early Christians believed it. And real Christians throughout the centuries really believed it. But the apostasy wave is even affecting people that claim they believe the Bible. Uh, one example, uh, a pastor named Rob Bell uh, pastored a huge church, 6,000 people. Grand Rapids, Michigan, the center of the Bible belt up north. Uh, all the Christian publishers are in Grand Rapids. Uh, and uh, he's pastoring this huge church and finally writes a book called Love Wins, in which he says, in the end, the love of God will save everybody. Everybody will get saved. Even the devil will repent. Even the devil will end up in heaven. Well, the devil has had thousands of years to repent, and he hasn't done it yet. Uh, the Bible says he'll eventually, at the return of Christ, be thrown into the uh, abyss for a thousand years. And he still doesn't repent. You let him out, and he's still back to no good. And finally, God will throw him in the lake of fire. Uh, how can you say that kind of stuff and be consistent with the Bible? Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life. Few there be that find it. Broad is the road that leads to what? Hell and destruction. So that's just one example there are many. The scripture puts it this way in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come except there come a falling away. This is how it's translated in our uh, English version. Uh, an apostasy comes first, a falling away from the faith. And we're living in a time when genuine, real Christianity is under attack again like never before. Number four, the rise of the global economy. The Bible tells us that at the time of the end, Revelation 13, the Antichrist and the false prophet will control uh, the world economy. Uh, and uh, he said he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark, 
in their right hand or their forehead. Now the word mark in the Greek text, karagma, means a tattoo, technically. Uh, you can speculate all day long, is it a computer chip or this or that, I don't know. Uh, but uh, uh, you say, well, nobody wants a tattoo. Yeah, they do today. Uh, and uh, he says uh, that nobody might buy or sell, that's the economy, unless he has one of three things, the mark of the beast, the name of the beast, or the number of his name, uh, etc. We already have a global economy. It already exists. If the Bible predicts that in the end times it will be controlled by a mark, a name, and an insignia, uh, and uh, there were no such thing as a global economy, we could say, well, I don't know how that will ever be fulfilled. But the clothes you're wearing were made all over the planet. Uh, I bought this uh, in a store in Lynchburg, uh, Rick Coffee's Men's Store, or whatever it's called, uh, and uh, they pride themselves on we sell American stuff. But if you look closely at the label, it says made in China. Uh, whatever, the parts of your car are from all over the planet. Now, the economy is not evil or good in and of itself. It's the economy. But the fact that there's a global economy worldwide that can be easily electronically controlled, that gets my attention. Now ask yourself, where is your money other than what's in your wallet? You say, well, it's in the bank. Well, where's their money? Well, some of it's in the vault, but most of it's where? In cyberspace. It's on a computer someplace that says what you're worth. Uh, the more technologically dependent we become, the easier it is for somebody to control that technology. How many times have we seen on the news that somebody's uh, messing around with cell phone technology and uh, making your battery wear out faster or changing this or changing that, etc. So at least it gets my attention. Global economy already exists. It's already here. And then number five, I would suggest uh, the reality of weapons of mass destruction. They've already been invented. Now, think of these five signs. Is Israel back in the land? Tell me. Yes. Is there rumors of war in the Middle East and tension in the Middle East? Yes. Is there a wave of apostasy growing in our society? Yes. Does the global economy already exist? Yes. And have weapons of mass destruction already been invented? Yes. Now, I don't want to mess up your lunch, but whether we like it or not, we're sitting on a bomb every single day. Uh, how many nuclear weapons would it take to destroy the whole planet? Four or five, probably get the job done. Do you know how many there are? There are over 20,000 on the planet. Uh, you know, we have a bunch, Russia has a bunch, China has a bunch, England, France, uh, all kinds of countries have them. They claim nine or 10 countries have nuclear weapons. India has one, Pakistan has some. Uh, Iran wants nuclear weapons. North Korea wants nuclear weapons. What happens when 20 countries have one? 30 countries. What happens when the terrorists have one? What happens when some madman has one who's willing to push the button that fortunately nobody's done since 1945? The potential already exists. The weapons don't have to be invented. They've already been invented. You say, but Ed, the Bible doesn't talk about nuclear weapons. No, people back then would never have understood that. Some microscopic thing you can't see, an atom can be split in half and blow up the world, they would have thought you were crazy. 
So how the Bible describes it is like this. Revelation 8, verse 7, The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood cast upon the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the grass was burned up. Well, what else is going to do that? Now, it could be cosmic, but as you read the book of Revelation, armies are marching, men are fighting, the world is at war, and it sounds a lot like nuclear war. Everything's burning up. So those are five things that get my, what did Jesus say? When these things begin to come to pass, keep looking up, keep an eye on the sky. I could come at any time, uh, at any moment. Uh, keep watching for me to come. Israel's back in the land. The Middle East is in crisis. The apostasy has already taken out the liberal churches, and now it's trying to take out the conservative churches. Uh, the global economy already exists. And the weapons of mass destruction have already been invented. From a practical standpoint, then I think that means we have to take advantage of our moment in time to make a difference for the cause of Christ. We don't know how much time is left. It's obvious the clock is ticking. Time is moving on. The Savior is coming. Now, He may not come in your lifetime, but if you're ready to meet Him, whether he comes back in your lifetime or whether you go to meet him in your lifetime, either way, you're ready to go when the Savior calls. I think it's important to know personally, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I'm putting my faith and confidence in him. My future is in his hands. And how much ever time he gives me, I'm going to use it to live for him and to serve him. And yet so many times, even as believers, we can be sidetracked in, in a moment of weakness and say, well, I'm going to spend my time and effort and energy on this or on that. And then all of a sudden, you're away from what God is really calling you to do to make a difference. You're already making a difference as a parent and a grandparent as you raise your kids and your family, as you have an influence on their lives. Uh, you're making a difference as a body of believers in this church. Uh, because it's a lighthouse in this community to stand up for the truth and to announce the gospel to the community because people desperately need Jesus as their Savior. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in an unbelieving home. My parents were eighth grade dropouts. They never even went to high school. Uh, sincere, honest people, but they didn't know God from a goat. There was no Bible in our home, no Jesus, nothing spiritual. Nobody ever prayed. I got saved in vacation Bible school when a Baptist church, a lot like this, built a new building a couple of blocks from our house, and my mother saw a flyer advertising vacation Bible school and said, you need to go there, and sent me. And it was there that I heard Jesus loved me, that he died for my sins, that he could forgive me, change me, and give me a home in heaven forever, and it was free? I liked free. I raised my hand. I was like, yeah, I'm for that. I, I get that. I understand that. And the lady that dealt with me was very thorough uh, to make sure you understand you're making a lifetime commitment to Jesus. You're not just trying him out. You're surrendering to him. That's so important. Uh, and every Sunday when the gospel is preached here or an invitation is given, in a sense, we're trying to get people ready for the end because we believe eventually he is 
coming again. Now, in the morning service, I'll talk to you a little more about prophecy and the war on terrorism. What in the world is going on today? What does it mean? And where will it lead? But I'll take a few minutes right now. I've got about 10 minutes for some questions. Brian said people want to ask questions. So if you have a question you want to ask about Bible prophecy of any kind or any kind of a question, go right ahead and do that. And uh, then we'll get started. Yes, sir. No, no, totally different person. Yeah, totally different person. But he grew up in a very conservative, Bible-believing church. Um, I, I think he picked a couple of not the best schools to go to, and I think that had an influence on him. Israel's relationship in the eternal state is, let's put it this way, the key for Israel is the prophecies are the Messiah would return one day and he would bring peace to the world. So a non-believing Jewish rabbi today would say, oh, Jesus can't be the Messiah. He never brought world peace. As Christians, we say, no, he is the promised Messiah. The prophecies of the Messiah are he had to come and suffer first, then reign and rule. And Jesus said that to his own disciples when he said, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And they said, oh, don't go there. They're liable to kill you. He said, don't you know, I must suffer before I reign. So Jesus is reigning, in a sense, from heaven, spiritually in the hearts of believers in the church age. But in the return, when he returns to the earth to reign and rule in Jerusalem, then he makes Israel fulfill all those promises and prophecies. So Israel is unique in the millennium of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Once we're in the eternal state, the entire family of God is equal to one another. We're all there, brothers and sisters in the family of God. So all believers of all time, Jesus said, I'll sit down in the kingdom of heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, so they'll be there. Uh, the Old Testament saints, uh, the believers from the tribulation period, as well as all of us from the church age. So Israel's uniqueness will ultimately be fulfilled in those millennial promises. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Do I know? Yeah, well, you've been taught well because there's nothing in the Bible that talks about America. I, I think trying to squeeze America into the Bible uh, is like taking a shoehorn and trying to jam your foot into a small shoe that doesn't quite work. Um, America, first of all, didn't exist in Bible times. So most of the Bible prophecies deal with the geography right around Israel. Secondly, you can't say every time there's an eagle in the Bible, that's got to be America, because an eagle is also the symbol of Mexico and Germany. So there are other countries that have an eagle as a symbol. There's always a tendency to try to read the future through the eyes of the present. Same thing's true with trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. It's usually somebody you didn't vote for uh, and don't like. Um, so uh, all of that, yeah, I think wastes people's time. Now, I've, I've been in the ministry for 50 years, so I've heard every crazy speculation possible. The facts of prophecy are very, very clear. 
Jesus said, if I go back to heaven, I will come back again one day and I'll come back for you. The second coming clearly promised and every legitimate Christian denomination says, yeah, we believe in the second coming. Beyond that, the interpretive issues are the when and how will he come and uh, that gets into the timing issues. And then beyond that, it's just speculation. It's just either an educated guess or an uneducated guess. As my dear friend Tim LaHaye said, when the rapture occurs and the Lord takes you to heaven, all your clothes are going to fall off uh, and be left behind in a nice neat pile uh, to prove the rapture occurred. So I used to tease him and say, Tim, where's that in the Bible? Um, <laughs> what about your glasses? What about false teeth, fillings, artificial parts? Some of us would have more left behind than gone. Yeah, uh, there's grandma, man, she left a pile. None of that was real. I don't know. There's some things we don't know for sure. The main things are clear. The main things are the plain things. So uh, now, in a general sense, is America included in prophecy? Sure, because the whole world's included. That if ultimately the Antichrist deceives the whole world, that would seem to imply that if America's still here, America would be part of that deception. Uh, as would Europe uh, and other places. So in the general sense, everybody's included. Specifically, I don't think there are any specific prophecies that America's going to be destroyed or America's going to disappear. Uh, we don't know for sure what's going to happen to America. But I think it's a real problem when Americans want to live like the devil and then turn around when there's a crisis and start singing God Bless America. Come to our rescue even if we don't deserve it. So that's part of the challenge. All right? Somebody else. Yes, sir. I think that is correct. Now, again, that's an interpretive issue as to when does God consider them actually literally back there does it start with 1948 so Edgar Wisnott the guy that wrote the little booklet 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988 assumed it'd be 40 years and rapture would happen by 1988 of course didn't happen uh, and uh, in Genesis 15 Abraham is told your descendants the Jews will be in Egypt for four generations. They were there for 400 years. So in that passage, the generation was 100 years. Now, how does God view that? We don't know, but I agree with you that if they've already been there 70 years, whether you date it from 48 or 1967, the recapture of Jerusalem under their control or whatever, I would tend to say, yeah, within the next 30 years, something's going to happen because the generation that lives to see the signs fulfilled will not pass until he comes. So if the signs are starting to appear now and he's getting our attention, we can't, and I'll talk about this in the next hour, can't run ahead of God and set dates, but we can sense that, yeah, we're moving closer and closer to the time when Jesus comes. Therefore, what you do with your life right now really matters and really makes a difference. Thank you. All right, it's a quarter to. I'm told we're supposed to have a break uh, at this point, and then we'll 
come back for the morning service. I want to thank all of you for coming, and uh, we'll continue right on in a moment. Let's pray right now. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.